JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is a friend of this show. He is the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker. He is a Hall of Famer, and he will review for discipline, for in-game misconduct. And we love to talk about that, even though we know going in, he largely can say absolutely nothing. <laughs> it is Derek Brooks, also a part, a part of walk-ons, who joins us once again. I always apologize to you, Derek. Because I, I want so much to know some of this that you know, but I know, again, in large part, you can rarely, if ever, say a word, buddy. <laughs> yes, the uh, you know, appeals process, uh, where I am uh, one of the appeals officers, uh, we definitely have to keep a lot of things close to the vest <laughs> in terms of, of how we go about it. But at the end of the day, uh, our job is to make sure uh, we give every player – uh, the opportunity to be heard uh, because that is their right uh, as a CBA negotiated right uh, for them to appeal uh, any fine uh, that is levied. Now, I only deal with on-field uh, fines, but, you know, obviously there's off-field, there's uniforms, there's other categories. But when it comes to uh, player discipline fines, myself and James Thrash, uh, we are the appeals officers and uh, we do the best we can to Respect the process, and, and sometimes that is telling our good friends like yourselves. Yes, we have to have the mute button because <laughs> <laughs> of certain questions. Well, you just kind of join the listeners of this show with that in mind, Derek. So yes, it is all, all all good for real. Hey, how often when you talk to the reps of these players involved in this stuff, or the players themselves? How often is it a cordial conversation? Because it would seem like this is something that oftentimes probably has them complaining a great deal. No, yeah, it's very cordial. Uh, one, uh, they they understand that they're dealing with one of their peers, uh, myself and James, uh, that have played. Myself, uh, defender, James, receiver, special teams player. So we, we come from the same language. Uh, so a lot of this is, us listening uh, to the player, and we understand when they're talking certain coverages, defenses, schemes, you know, we're talking their language. So uh, I try to, you know, really get the player to share as much as I can. Uh, however, you know, you do get agents uh, on the phone that uh, they want to show that they earn their money. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, you know, we get on the platform to uh, discuss what they want to discuss. And if something gets, you know, out of bounds or out of the scope of what 
the process is uh, we have a very respectful way of bringing everything back to the center uh, and keeping the focus. But they know that we're going to treat them fairly. Uh, you know, some players, uh, quite frankly, when they see me, they they flat out tell me, hey, Mr. Brooks, I honestly disagree with <laughs> your decision. And, however, uh, I do respect the process that you, you went through, and I do believe I was treated fairly, even though I wholeheartedly disagree. And I can, I can accept that and respect that because that's my job to know uh, that I'm going to give every opportunity for them to be represented uh, in the right way. So, Derry Brooks, also Hall of Fame linebacker from the Buccaneers, just so happens Buccaneers and Indy coming up on Sunday. Now, are you going to make it up here? Uh, unfortunately, uh, oh. no. Uh, my my initial plans were, but uh, Thanksgiving plans uh, here with the family uh, had to take precedence. So uh, I'm going to be a uh, interested bystander. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and, and yesterday the, the Colts made a decision that was a big deal heard around the NFL regarding releasing Shaquille Leonard and and yeah. I want to ask I want to ask you this um, you're a Hall of Famer and it, it it seemed to me you were perfect defensively in that system you know all those years you played in Tampa um, how often is that the case and again you had the talent don't get me wrong not at all yeah, you, you know, had the talent uh, to be there man. but how often is it you know and in this case we saw Shaquille Leonard with injuries and clearly he wasn't the way back, and you kind of wonder if you're ever going to get back from that. But how big is just being in the scheme that best represents your high-level, elite-level skill set? Uh, it does, and you, you try to pray you're in a situation where your talent and skill level uh, matches to the scheme or you're with a staff who can adjust and find the best fit for, you know, not just you, but the 10 other guys that you're playing with. And, you know, with Gus Bradley being my former uh, linebackers coach, you know, I really thought uh, Mr. Leonard would thrive uh, in that system, uh, to be honest with you, you know, Reed Rack. And I, I know, man, in, you know, 2018, 19, man, when he came on the scene, uh, you talking about a player, man, that made impact plays. Uh, never he got his hands on the ball. He picked it off. He scored. Uh, third down stops, you name it, uh, he was an impact player. And it's just unfortunate uh, when, you know, got that first injury and didn't quite come back from that and it led to something else, to sitting out of season. And uh, I just hated for him, uh, to be honest with you, because I thought he was uh, really one of the most talented linebackers uh, at one point in this league. And, you know, even yesterday I saw when the news come down, he still was out serving the community. And that is something that uh, he's always will have my respect uh, for doing that. I mean, it didn't matter what was going on on the field. He was fulfilling an obligation and trying to make Thanksgiving holiday special uh, for a lot of families. So I tilt my hat uh, to Shaquille Leonard uh, for coming through with that, uh, despite uh, having a tough professional day yesterday. Do you ever think about, and Derek Brooks joins us, the Hall of Famer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, had you been someplace else? And you mentioned, you know, Gus Bradley and obviously just the, the myriad of minds you had defensively in your years in Tampa. Do you ever think about, all right, if I ended up someplace else, 
would have all this been the same? I, I happen to think you still have the talent regardless of where you're going to be, but did that ever come to your mind considering you were just in a great spot for your elite-level skill set? You know, I, I would say fortunately, I never uh, got to a point in my career uh, from a contract standpoint that the Bucks were going to let me test free agency. Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, d- during my career, uh, my last, you know, my last year when, when I was uh, released, uh, I did uh, have an opportunity to sign with the Saints or the, you know, the Patriots at the time, which I felt those two teams uh, were the only two teams I would go play for because I felt in 2009 season they were the best teams to uh, win a Super Bowl. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I hate to say unfortunately, it didn't work out. Uh, when I went to the visit with the Saints, I mean, we got to the finish line of uh, coming to an agreement, and we just, you know, couldn't cross the goal line uh, on both sides. So uh, it all worked itself out. And then the same thing uh, with New England, where Junior Seau decided to come back and uh, finish his season. And obviously, Coach Belichick wanted to uh, respect his commitment uh, to Mr. Seau uh, at that time. So. Uh, those two situations uh, did did not work out, but I felt as a system, either one of those systems would have fit my skill set uh, at that time. So Derek Brooks, who was with us, you mentioned being coached up once upon a time by Gus Bradley. How was he for your game at that position when he was your coach? Uh, good, because you know, even though he was you know, older, he was still a young coach. Uh, in the NFL, and he had different ways of challenging me uh, at that point in my career. As as I was learn, you know, he was learning from me. I was being challenged by him, and uh, God has, has really blessed us to uh, have a beautiful friendship now uh, that we continue to uh, talk. And I know uh, <laughs> a lot about that. And in a special time now, Cato June's on the staff, and Cato yeah. was in the linebacker room, and now he's coaching with Gus when Gus coached him <laughs> years ago yeah. in Tampa. So it's exciting to see, and it was a pleasure uh, to play for Coach Bradley. And he's the same now as he was then, man. He's ultimately positive. You know, you'll never find him having a bad day and his genuine energy uh, that he tries to bring to the building uh, as he teaches. He do a lot of teaching through – a lot of positive thinking, and uh, for the most part, most players respond to him in a positive way. So, Derek Brooks, who joins us, obviously the former Buccaneer, uh, at four and five, the Colts at five and five, coming off a bye week. What uh, does your former team really look like going into this game against the Colts up here at Indy on Sunday, Derek? Uh, well, we, uh, as you guys probably talked about all week, we're a little beat up <laughs> on defense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's not good going against a team that's rested. So uh, we got to get uh, heels pretty fast, and, and guys are going to have to play through some things uh, on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a tough, tough match. I mean, the running game that the Colts uh, had started to establish now uh, with Jonathan as allowed. Uh, meant you to get really comfortable uh, in the pocket and the coach and get really comfortable with play calling. Because uh, when you're able to stay balanced, I think that's been one of Indy's strengths is staying balanced on offense, not turning the ball over, uh, and keeping the defense, giving them 
opportunities by being opportunistic is being in every game. Uh, Buccaneer-wise, you know, we got to do the same thing. We got to protect the football, establish a tempo on offense where we can stay ahead of the downs. Whenever we're able to stay ahead of the downs, that's when I believe Baker Mayfield and our offensive assets are at its strengths with the play-action pass where where Godwin and obviously the great Mike Evans, they can make plays in the passing game that are explosive, scoring plays, uh, not just first downs but touchdowns. And defensively, weather the storm, uh, everybody's dealing with injuries right now. Uh, we can pre- prevent the explosive plays and, and make a team go through our goal line because our red zone defense is pretty good. So if we can eliminate those explosive plays and make a team go the length of the field, uh, I like the chances of the Bucks. Oh, it's uh, Derek Brooks. I'm going to tell you, I love talking to you. Um, shout out to Todd Johnson, who always sets this up, too. And, uh, you know, obviously with walk-ons and uh, all those uh, other endeavors you got going on, you're always a fantastic conversation. I, I, hey, families come first, don't get me wrong, but I'm a little bit disappointed. I thought maybe a little pregame show action before that game on Sunday if you were going. <laughs> uh, yes, man. It would have been some interesting banter uh, between the two of us. And Yes. You know, I, I will say this. Uh, don't count it out because I feel uh, with your personality, anytime we see each other, we're going to have a good time. So if it's not during this season, uh, when I get up there uh, to visit walk-ons in the offseason, you guys will be the first to know. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, do a show from there and have some fun in person. Man, you're awesome. I appreciate you more than you know every time you come on. Enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday with your family and enjoy the games, and we'll do it again soon, Derek. Thank you. All right, and if everybody, if you can't get a ticket inside that stadium, you definitely get a ticket at walk-ons right across the street to enjoy the game. No no (laughs) doubt about that. Thank you, Derek. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Derek Brooks, the Hall of Famer. I love talking to him. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From the NFL Network, NFL Network reporter, the host of the NFL Report, which streams Monday and Thursday at 7.15 p.m. on the NFL Channel with Steve Weitz as well. This week, I believe, they're streaming a conversation they're having with Colts linebacker Zaire Franklin. It is James Palmer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. James, welcome to Indy on this Wednesday. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you, and I'm not going to lie, my mind started spinning when you brought up that heading back from college situation. Back to the hometown. I was the only one of my friends that went to college, so I came back and I was like the odd man out. Everybody had been hanging out the whole time. It's kind of a bummer. I didn't really get that whole deal. So did you, uh, did you have a little, a little he and she, she and meeting with somebody maybe that you'd had a slight relationship with or never had a relationship with at all on that Wednesday night before Thanksgiving of the day? I did. It was over yes. at uh, Peppers. Yeah. Philadelphia. <laughs> Came back from Ohio I love State. it. Yeah. No big deal. Hey, James, that's a universal thing, man. This is what Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights mm-hmm. before Thanksgiving, that's why they're made. Just for that. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. Hey, I'm glad I found somebody to agree with me on that right there. James, oh, yeah. yesterday, yesterday was, was hellaciously entertaining around here, uh, both good and bad. And we'll get to, mm-hmm. to Jim Irsay on HBO's Real Sports last night, and, and he's very combative uh, on social media platforms. I don't know if you've noticed this, clapping back this afternoon. I want to get to that in a second. But how shocked were you on the sudden release of Shaquille Leonard from the Colts yesterday? Well, I mean, it was all heading in that direction, but I think when it actually, you know, Shaquille Leonard's been released by the Indianapolis Colts, it still kind of hits you. I mean, this is one of the best players in in the last couple of decades for, for the Indianapolis Colts. So it was one of those things going, yeah, I, I know the writing's on the wall. We see the playing time going down, specifically on things like third down and, and the way this defense is going and his role within it and the frustration that he has had and the passion that he plays with. And I think if you've ever spoken to him, I've done many times covering Colts games, just how is that going to all play out uh, with the staff and with the defense, with his role diminished? I don't see this going in the right way. But then when it actually happens, you're like, wow. You know what I mean? And, and, and I yeah. think that's kind of where everyone was, not completely shocked by it, but when players of this caliber that mean something to the community, mean something to the organization, uh, in which Shaq does, um, it still does kind of take you back. But I, it always goes back to a conversation I had with um, Robert Kraft a long time ago, which was at some point I'm going to have to probably cut or release or trade Tom Brady. Um, and yeah. that has always stuck with me because it's going to happen to every single player almost. Um, and so, yeah, I, it was a little bit shocking, but at the same time, the writing was on the wall in terms of where it was headed. He is uh, James Palmer of the NFL Network with us. How much do you think he has left? There has been a debate around here whether or not it's the scheme defensively of Gus Bradley or just his, his because of injuries, decline as a player. And unfortunately, I, I think it's his decline as a player. However, different situations may provide a rebirth of sorts further down the road. Any teams out there you think may have that interest to where he could show some things further that he was unable to do here lately in Indy? Well, we know the position is used differently in so many different schemes, right? And and you know that obviously at where he's in his career and with the injuries he's had, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to try to, you know, get a title in some sense. And also some of the contenders actually have issues at linebacker. Like, look at him. I I, I mean, is Miles Jack been talking to the Steelers? Like, I mean, is that like you're reaching out to Miles Jack? I think you have an issue at linebacker in Pittsburgh. Like, Buffalo has issues at linebacker. Philly has had an interest in linebackers. Um, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised. Like Houston has had an interest in linebackers. Now, uh, is he going to come in and play at the level that, yeah, we've seen him play and be this turnover machine in the middle of the defense? No, I, I just don't think that's really there. Can he be rotational? Can he serve a purpose within a defense in one of those that have, you know, uh, like I mentioned, a spot like Philly that could come in and, and have him be a part of uh, a, a talented defense around him and he makes a couple of splash plays um, and has some of those left in him? I, I think he does. I do. But I don't think he can really – in all honesty, play at the level that we've seen him play before. And I think the other part of it is what's happened very, very quickly in this league, if you ask around, is that position, man, has been changing so quickly in terms of the size of the player that plays it and the speed in which that player needs to play it. And because of the way offenses have been going, that player is almost getting, like, smaller. I mean, I know Dallas has been mentioned as a team that's maybe interested. Marquise Bell's been the one playing that as a safety 
playing linebacker for him. And so if that shows you kind of where you need to be able to move at an unbelievable pace with the way offenses are going, that plays a part in it too, why, why obviously the move kind of happened. Hey, James, you and uh, Steve with the NFL Network and the NFL Channel, you have this week a, a segment, a highlight of Colts linebacker Zaire Franklin, who, unlike oh, Shaquille yeah. Leonard, has just been absolutely thriving, certainly this year and even going back to last year. What did you come away with with that segment of that conversation with Zaire? Is it, you know what? You have to watch, and this is, I sound like the guy coming on promoting the show. You have to watch the show, guys. But what he has to say, because we just finished actually taping the interview, what he has to say about how difficult it is to play defense in the NFL right now, with the way that you are flagged, with the way that you are fined, the, the difficulty it is to hit and tackle. And we know he's, in my opinion, maybe the best tackler in football. I mean, like, just to throw this out there, the dude is on pace for 221 tackles this year. Yeah. I mean, that's what he's on pace for. The last time somebody broke 200 tackles was in 93. Like, that was 30 years ago. So, I mean, the, the guy is one of the best tacklers, if not the best tackler in football. And for him to tell us in depth about how difficult it is to tackle in the NFL and how everything is against you, uh, as a defensive player, I mean, it kind of peels back the thought that is kind of rumbling around the league to where explosive plays are down. Scoring is down. What does the league want to have happen every Sunday? Huge plays. Scoring. Uh, There is a thought that are like, you know, the ball's going to get down the field one way or the other, whether you guys like it or not. (laughs) And he really dives deep into how difficult it is. And the conversations I asked him, the conversations he has with officials on the field, you know I mean? Because those happen constantly within a game. Man, what did I do? Like, what can I do? How, How are we doing this wrong? Like, that is a difficult aspect for a guy in the middle of the field that makes his number of tackles he makes. And it was really, he really kind of led it into his frustration, especially to plays where you think you did everything right. And then, man, on Friday, you got a fine notice in your locker. And you're like, this wasn't even a flag. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fine right. by the league on Friday. So he said that that's really been the difficult aspect of playing, playing defense. He goes way deeper than that. But it, that was to me, stood out, you know, in, 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 a, in a big fashion for me in terms of the way these guys are frustrated and, and having to play the game. James Palmer of the NFL Network with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. I, I, I view it this way, too. In, in terms of NFL defensive players, and this used to be more just about those in the secondary or those on a corner mm-hmm. where you have to have a very short memory because you're going to fail – more times than you're going to be successful. That's been a longstanding tradition there. It's kind of like a baseball player at the plate. I mean, success is going Mm -hmm. to be three out of every ten times you're going to get a hit. It seems like to me it would be really difficult to compartmentalize the failure you have to deal with compared to those few times where you make plays because the defense is so much behind that proverbial eight ball because we all know everybody wants offense. And it's just a difficult, really every position, it's really difficult to find consistent success individually. Oh, it, it is tremendously. And the part that I, that I was thinking about when you were going through that was going like, okay, well, we don't make what these guys make, right? Mm-hmm. But if you have a certain hit, 
Yes. Like I'm thinking of Kareem Jackson, uh, the hit on Josh Dobbs this past week, the Broncos safety who just got suspended for four games. I mean, that dude, I think he was signed a one-year contract. These numbers aren't exactly to point, but I believe it's like $2.2 million he signed his deal for. I think he is on the verge at the end of this suspension and the other hits that he's had in terms of fines this year to be fined like $940,000. That's like he's approaching half of his salary has been taken away due to what the NFL has fined him on in this season. I'm curious how you go and play the next play going like, oh, man, Friday's going to roll around. This one's going to hurt. Like, and you were in the moment trying to make a play, right? And you're trying to make a play specifically on getting after the quarterback. And what's happened so many times in a lot of these games this year, and obviously they're all close and they're all tight, and, and it's an unnecessary roughness penalty on a third down where a guy hits a quarterback too high, too low, too late, and the drive is extended, and everybody on the defense is going, man, why? Like, you're like, I, this game is played in milliseconds. It's not played, you know. Uh, we're making snap decisions here, and, and these these calls and these flags and these fines are making things unbelievably difficult to be able to reset mentally. You're right, I think is – maybe one of the more valued spots when you're looking at players, if they have the ability to do that, because it's becoming more and more important for defensive well, players to have to do that. Yeah. And you bring up fines too. I had Derek Brooks on, we were talking a little bit earlier. He's a friend of the show. And, you know, obviously, you know, he also handles, um, uh, in the mm-hmm. NFL, NFL PA, um, that, that exercise their right to, uh, you know, basically he's, he's the judge at the very end of it for the players mm-hmm. and, and how, how much negativity he gets. And it rarely, if ever, is he going to get a really good conversation because of what you're talking about in terms of fines. And, hey, I yeah, didn't know I was going to get fined on that, and here we go. Yeah. He so. was the hearing officer, I believe. Yeah, he is. Mark, yeah. I just brought up. Yes. Yeah. yes, he was. And uh, we tried to squeeze stuff out of him, but mum's the word with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, understandable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, kind of, that's kind of the way that it, it goes. But it is amazing in thinking about it in, in those terms. And, and James Palmer joins us again, NFL Network. He and Steve Weiss, a conversation upcoming on their NFL report streams of Zaire Franklin of the Colts, their linebacker, is going to be with him. They just finished that up a little bit ago. What did you make last night in watching Jim Irsay, if you did, on Real Sports with Andrea Kramer, and I'd said this yesterday, the message that he really wanted to get out was fantastic. It was. I mean, it was, you know, clarity. It was getting sober. It was addiction and overcoming that and all this. And then, unfortunately, you put out that one quote, and that's all anybody's going to focus on. And if you've been noticing this afternoon, for those that have been incredibly negative about last night to him in social media, uh, Jim Irsay this afternoon is firing back. Yeah, I, and well, I think everybody in Indianapolis knows Jim and, and are not surprised by him firing back. Uh, and that's been his personality and the way he's operated uh, for as long as I probably most have known him. And yeah. I, I don't want to speak too, mu- too, too, too much about it because I actually have not watched it last night on TV really nonstop uh, this week. Uh, but yeah. I have obviously read plenty about it and and – this is the society that we live in that one quote will be taken. Um, you know, if that's the one that, that, that grabs the social media uh, sphere, as we call it, essentially, uh, it's going to make its rounds very, very quickly. And so I do think like, I, I understand the message. I understand what it was. I, I, don't know if I really understand that particular comment. Um, and I don't think a lot of people do. And I think yeah. <laughs> in all honesty, and in, in my opinion, you're also making a comment to where, 
the 99.9999% of America cannot relate to um, yes. at all. Yeah. And they think yeah. uh, the exact opposite of what you're saying um, and would love to be in the situation that you're in financially. Um, and I do think that makes it a very difficult comment to make. Um, it could have been another comment, in my opinion, opportunity to talk what within the message he was trying to get across, which is, man, was I lucky that a, I didn't kill anybody, uh, that nobody, even myself, was, you know, harmed in in driving under the influence um to drive the message home even further it was an opportunity to do that probably as opposed to what ended up being said yeah and sounding incredibly entitled i mean you go through you know taking taking hold of your life right taking responsibility of your life and and moving forward and, and getting sober and then not taking responsibility for something 10 years ago and by the way unearthing something 10 years ago that everybody had forgotten about and then bringing yeah, that back I up, did yeah, until I reread yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just yeah, it uh, it was really a bad play by Jim, unfortunately. And now we, we see the consequences of that. All right, hey, when can your conversation with Zaire be seen, James? Actually, with the holiday, it's going to be tonight. So I know everybody's probably going to be like, you know, on tryptophan and asleep or watching, actually watching, <laughs> you know, NFL Network, uh, on fo- watching all the football that is going to be going on on, th- on on Thursday, tomorrow on Thanksgiving. So it's going to be tonight at 7.15. The show starts uh, on the NFL Fast Channel. But then the great part about it is it might even almost be up now. As a, It's also a podcast on the NFL Network's podcast platforms, which, you know, iHeart, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's there. It's also going to be on YouTube uh, in a couple of hours as well. So you can find it anywhere. Uh, I'll be tweeting it out like crazy. But Zaire, and I don't think I'm saying anything that people in Indianapolis and fans of the Colts don't already know, is just an incredible person um, and just just awesome to talk to. What he had to say about Shane Steichen as well, which is, I'm from Philly. I know Shane. I, I know him really well. And uh, I think you guys got a hell of a head coach that's uh, going to be steering this thing. He's been through a lot already in year one, and I think he's handled it actually very, very well. Hey, James, uh, we'll be watching that with Zaire Franklin. Thanks for coming on here. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and we'd love to do this again, man. Great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Let's, let's do it, and enjoy your Wednesday night, huh? Never too old. Oh, <laughs> never. Hey, I may go ahead and roll a dice and throw it out there. You never know. You just <laughs> never know. Turn back the clock here, James, tonight. You never know, buddy. All right, man. <laughs> Take it easy, buddy. Take it easy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, Forbes, Substack, and more. Friend of this show that talks NBA is Evan Sidery. When's the last time, did you look this up, the last time a team... In the NBA, or hell for that matter, anywhere, scored 152 points in a loss, and they weren't playing Loyola Marymount in 1991. When was the last time that happened? God, I wish I could tell you, but I can't remember the last time. Maybe the Nuggets from those 80s teams that ran up and down Maybe. the court and got 150 plus a game. But outside of that, John, I mean, what what a game that was last night, 157-152. The way the Pacers played that whole game, you were disgusting on one end of the court on their defense, but the offense just continues to show just magical moments of Tyrese Halliburton. So what a game that was last night. But to have this offense and the way they're playing right now, JMV, I mean, it's pretty incredible to watch what they're doing. All right, hold on a second. I got another one from Jim Ursa here. 
So hold on, Evan. Let me get this out here. <laughs> First take, you're going to get your ass. No, this can't be right. There's no way he said that. Yeah, that's him. First take, you're going to get your ass sued because there was no alcohol, no illegal drugs. $29,000 is low for me to be carrying in 2014 arrest. I give away $2,000 to $10,000 to the homeless and needed on the street all the time and pass it on, making the world better. Uh, first take, you're going to get your ass sued because there was no alcohol, no illegal drugs. $29,000 is low for me to be carrying in 2014. All right. Sorry, Evan. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. Had to get that in because that was just uh, put out there. And this is not going to go. Somebody somebody may want to go ahead and, and grab the, uh, the X and or Twitter account here at this point. I'm thinking. Go ahead. Yeah. About last night. Yes. Oh. No, I was just going to say, I mean, who knows if says I'll stay up or not. But, I mean, yeah, it's interesting what's been going on in the last 24 hours with him. But the Pacers especially, I mean, the offense, like you mentioned, number one offense in the NBA. But I, my big takeaway from last night to me, John, was I think Pacers fans need to realize how special Tyrese Halliburton really is. Because what he did last night generated 81 of their team's points over half their offense was directly through Tyrese Halliburton. He leads the NBA in assists per game. He leads the NBA in assist, assist points generated per game. He's putting up almost like Steve Nash kind of numbers from when he won back-to-back MVPs about 10-plus years ago. But it's even more aggressive offense that we've seen from Tyrese Halliburton. He's on that Steve Nash kind of path to me where he looks like a bona fide superstar, a bona fide top 15 player in the NBA. And what he did last night, 37 points, 16 assists, nine three-pointers. He's totally empowered under Rick Carlisle's system to just be a, a, an aggressive scorer and a facilitator. And I think it's fair to say, John, I think Tyrese Halliburton should rightfully so deserve some sleeper MVP buzz right now. So Evan Sidery, again, Forbes NBA writer, Substack. He has information in his column right there with us as usual on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I am not at all throwing cold water on this because I was entertained as hell last night by that game. However, it does not seem like if you play defense like that, you're going to win a lot of games. I think you had a really good chance to do that last night, especially coming back from 20 down in the first half because Atlanta plays defense about as poorly, if not more poorly, than you do. So they supplied, I thought, that opportunity that the Pacers took advantage of. My question is, can they provide what is necessary? And you're going to need to see some resistance that we just haven't seen at all, especially in these last two, Evan. Yeah, it's pretty pretty concerning, I would say, especially with how the defense played the last couple of weeks. And we saw them at least be average the first five or six games. But ever since then, it's kind of just been – get the ball and run, forget about defense, let the team score 120, 130 points, and hopefully we score 135 points. And like you mentioned, that's just not sustainable. I know the way the offense is playing now, it's at a historic level with the way they're playing, just pushing the pace, having Tyrese Halliburton run this whole offense. But when you see exactly how they're, they're going about it defensively, it just seems like there's not a lot of effort there. It's a lot of miscommunications. And you have to wonder at some point, this continues forward into December and January, potentially to the deadline, what do the Pacers do at that point? Do they go out and get more defensive players via trade? Do they go out and try to get like an Alex Caruso from Chicago? Or OG Ananobi has been in rumors with Indiana for years at this point now, John. It seems like at this point, even Bruce Brown, his addition hasn't really helped out that much. 
I mean, we're probably about two weeks away from it being a big enough sample size, at least in my opinion. But if this continues forward, and for me, I, I do wonder what moves they make. Because it seems like in the outside looking in, they got if they're at least the top six team in the Eastern Conference a month or two from now, and you're really overachieving, I end up here to kind of set up here and make an aggressive move or two at the deadline to help out that defense a little bit. Everybody always brings up a wing. Need a wing, and everybody always brings up, essentially, when you need a wing, uh, get one that's obviously of value as a two-way player. But I think right now you've got to look at it the way they play defense. If that is your priority, I think you'd rather have somebody that's got a little bit more of a, a two-way playing lean defensively if you can find that solution, correct? Yeah, certainly. So I think at this point, you know, you don't need more offense. You just need to have guys that are low usage players that take the toughest assignments in the court and kind of go from there. And Bruce Brown was supposed to help out with that a little bit. I know you still have an acclimation period with this Pacers team. He's been good on offense so far, but defensively he's not been the guy we hope for as far as going from Denver to Indiana. And maybe that could improve over time, but they're allowing 120.2 points per 100 possessions this year. The Pacers are, which is 29th out of 30th in the NBA this year. Only the Hornets are a worse defense at 120.3 per 100 possessions. So I think this kind of shows you that this Pacers team is running track meets right now. They're scoring 123 points per 100 possessions, allowing 120. I don't know if that's sustainable or not. And you brought up a good point at the start of this, John, where you mentioned you don't know if it's sustainable. And I totally agree with you there. I think we're reaching a point where if this doesn't improve in the next couple of weeks, I would love to see guys like Juris Walker maybe get some run defensively because he might be a guy that can give you a spark on that end of the court. But as you see, the, the, the depth in this team also is so deep to where Juris Walker is now on the, for, the Indiana Mad Ants yeah. getting run today. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword here, in my opinion. You have such a good offense but yet such a bad defense. So I think it's another couple of weeks for me as far as evaluation goes to what they should do here. But I can come back to the point you have all these future assets that you have your draft picks with. You have some young players that aren't getting many minutes. Maybe if this team is overachieving later on, they might be poised to strike here with a trade or two. Hey, uh, Evan, I would consider this, too. It's almost like that Rick Carlisle has tried nearly everything, but realistically, in, in moments that really matter, Jarris Walker. I mean, we saw Ben Shepard go in there last night, and you know I wouldn't have noted him from Belmont you know, as a big-time defensive player, but he was tried last night. You know, we've seen in games earlier where they've actually doubled. We saw them double both uh, uh, Giannis and, and then Embiid a couple of different times, and then they went small ball last night late in that game. And, and it just it seems like right now they're trying anything and everything, especially being gimmicky defensively, which makes me wonder if they have a clue at all or believe at all if they have what's necessary to really find a solution for this issue. Yeah, that's the concerning part is that they're already through this portion of the season. It's about 13 games already. I know they have a good record right now, but having the defense the way it is, and it's not looking good. I mean, it's been even worse over the last 10 game sample size where over the full season, it's around 120 points they allow per 100 possessions. But if you look at it a little closer, over the last couple of weeks, it's at 123, which is the worst in the NBA. So uh, they, they've got to come up with some sort of solution. Uh, I really don't know what that could be, though. I mean, just with the way the offense is playing, they're pushing the pace at an extremely high level. I think it's more so they're fully committed at this point to just saying, screw defense, let's try offense. Let's have Tyrese Halliburton score 30 points a game and hopefully we get 130, 140 points most nights. But 
that that's going to have to be fixed down the road, whether that be in December, February, or next offseason. You can't win games consistent in the NBA, scoring 140, 150 points, and hope the other team doesn't score that much. So that's going to be the biggest question to me is how exactly they go about tweaking this because, like you mentioned, Rick Carlisle, I think, has gone through all of his options, and he's getting pretty close to the end there. So Evan Sidery, again, Forbes NBA Substack with his own information and NBA column with us, and he joins us a lot talking NBA on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We are all surprised that Rick Carlisle decided to, to make such a significant change in the starting lineup last night? Um, I mean, a little bit, just because I, I, I imagine it might have waited another couple weeks because so far this season, the starting unit hasn't been that bad with the way they've been playing. But when you dive deeper into the numbers uh, upon that news last night, the five-man the five lineup they tried out last night, including Aaron Neesmith and uh, making the changes that they did, that lineup actually was a plus 33 per 100 possessions this year. I think that's probably why they went to it. It was an analytical-based move. And we saw last night in certain moments that lineup did do very, very well. But I think it's just them trying to find an answer. I think Benedict Matherin is a big reason why. because he's been struggling to find a groove offensively. And you saw last night him running that second unit again as that sixth man. Might be the best role for him on this team that's currently constructed. I, I know a lot of Pace fans want to see him start. I think as do I with how important his long-term development is to this future. But when you have Buddy Heald in there for space, we have Bruce Brown and Aaron Neesmith out there as well as solid defenders who are better defenders than Benedict Matherin. Maybe the best role for him right now is running that second unit, getting about 15, 16-plus points per game, and chucking from the second unit. I think that's probably the best role for him right now as an improving defender, as how special of a scorer he is offensively. I think it's best for player and team at this time to let Benedict Matherin kind of just run that second unit and let him thrive in that area. But I do wonder long-term what's going to happen there because I think Matherin should start, but the numbers just say so far that he shouldn't be compared to guys like Aaron Neesmith who's having a career best season. And then Buddy Hugh, I think, has looked pretty lost without Tyrese Halberton in the starting lineup. So I think putting him back out there and the way he responded last night, playing alongside the starters, probably proved him right a little bit. So I pretty much would say I would expect this starting lineup to move forward for a little bit. I am uh, anti those that really like to whine about Mather and not playing and believing that it's going to stun his growth. Listen, he's the one that said he wanted to be coached hard. So let the coach coach him hard and stop whining about, oh, no, if he's not getting these minutes, that's going to set him back. You know, it's just so that drives me nuts. The coach ultimately is coaching to win and if he's not having a good game or if he's not a solution at the beginning or at the end or in the middle then so be it but again he himself Evan said he wanted to be coached hard that's exactly what he is getting so I'm assuming that he's rolling right along with it it's just the the constant whining I hear about that drives me nuts yeah, I agree with you there. And I think Matherin, like I mentioned, I think he might be better served for this current team to be off the bench because having guys like Bruce Brown and Aaron Neesmith, who I think he hasn't gotten a lot of national buzz, but Aaron Neesmith's been fantastic this year. 46% from three-point range, probably when you're better on-ball defenders as well. He's earned that right to start, in my opinion, with the way he's played this season over Bennett and Matherin to give him more shooting and more versatility in that starting lineup. And allowing Matherin, into, he'll, so, he'll still get 25, 30 minutes per game, like you mentioned there. There's so much depth at the wing on this team with Buddy Heald, Neesmith, Bruce Brown, Benedict Matherin. There's a, 
um, not, not many teams can say they have four legitimate starting caliber wings on their roster that are getting that much minutes. And it's kudos to the Pacers for the way they built this roster out this season when that Bennett Mathurin might not be getting 30-plus minutes each night. But I think it's best for this team right now to let these veterans kind of help this team win, help them grow. And Bennett Mathurin, like you mentioned as well, John, he wants to be coached hard. I think all the young guys in this core want to be coached hard as well. And if you let Matherin kind of take his lumps again this year and he can bounce back out of that sometime soon, that's the best long-term growth for him possible. So I'm all more than tweaking my up here a little bit. I, I just I think he's fine. I, I think he's fine. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think there's any stunting of the growth going on. I think there's a maturation and a growing process that you're fortunate to have because this team is winning and is fun to watch. You figure some things out, let him be coached as he wanted to be coached, and not worry about it. So that's kind of how I viewed Matherin. Now, they went small defensive, or really both ends of the floor, uh, to match up against Atlanta, you know, both matching up with one another at the end of the game last night. What did you think about that? And to me, I'm kind of wondering if that's really the only time you're going to see it against that particular team. Yeah, I think that was a very special circumstance last night because when when it was halftime last night and the Hawks had 86 points, I was dumbfounded as much as everyone else out there listening to this because that that shouldn't be happening in any NBA game. And I think both teams kind of realized in the mid-third quarter, late third quarter, we're not stopping anything. Uh, I think both teams kind of knew that at that point. So let's just go out there and get as much offense in the court as possible. They're going to target our big guys every chance they get and run them off the court. So I think they all decide let's just run six, six, six foot seven guys out there and see what happens. And it turned to a complete track meet in that second half of the game. And it, it turned out well for the Pacers. And that was a good thing for them. But I think it was a special circumstance, a one-off kind of situation yeah. where we don't see Miles play in the fourth quarter there because – even Miles mentioned it post-game last night. I mean, the way the NBA's changed ever since he's been in the league over the last eight, nine years, and the 306 points in the NBA game is completely absurd, and that shouldn't be happening, but the offense production, the offensive pace is just out of this world. Do you think that that is going to – like, last night we thought it was great, but do we want to see that the entirety of the year? Is that the, the, the style of basketball that we want to see? And – and again, I referenced, you know, early on with you, Loyola Marymount, and that was great in the late 80s and very early 90s. But long term, there was no way that was, was going to last. This looks like certainly across the league, something that has lasting legs. Is it good for the product? Is it bad for the product? How do you view the way you see these teams getting up and down with, again, very little to maybe sometimes no resistance at all? I mean, it's fun for the general fan, especially if you're new to basketball or if you you love points. I mean, if you are a fantasy basketball owner, for example, you love having all these points for all these players and helping your team every week. But you have to imagine defensive integrity at some point has to matter for most of these NBA teams. And you see the great NBA teams right now, like the Boston Celtics, who are number one defensive rating. Orlando, like we saw the other night, really just bum-rushed the pace from the very beginning of that game, had a 40-point lead. They're tops in the NBA defensive rating as well. So those teams, I think, long-term, they had the foundational principles in place to be great defensive teams. And I just don't see that with the Pacers or a lot of NBA teams right now where you're just trying to just push the pace, be offense first, and kind of forget about defense. And it might be the new trend nowadays, John, but I do wonder, especially when we get to April and May in postseason basketball, where possessions slow down 10, 20 times less than what they're seeing recurrently yeah. right now. I wonder how the Pacers will function in that environment because the way they're playing right now in a slowed-down postseason basketball I kind of fear for what that might look like in a first-round series. Me too. I just, 
you know, these are great for moments, but I just I don't see legs for this in terms of winning to a level in which you want your team to win. I don't. Yeah, I think, too, it goes to the question of how can they go about building this team correctly around Tyrese Halliburton, where we already know the offense is going to be top five level. But if you want to be a respected, sustainable contender, you have to have more defensive pieces, have more internal development. And you have to think this time next year, there's probably going to be a couple of new pieces on this roster to help defensively. But, I mean, I think the Pacers are kind of trying to find that right balance of how good our offense is compared to how bad our defense is. But having the number one offense and the number 30th defense, you're right in the average lane there. And I think that's probably where the Pacers want to be currently. But down the road, you have to get a lot better, a lot more quickly on defense. All right, Evan, final thing here, too. Raptors got beat last night on the road in Orlando, 126-107. Uh, what are these 6-8 and eight Raptors bringing to the table for the Pacers tonight at Cambridge Fieldhouse? Yeah, so this could be a very interesting game, in my opinion. It might go similar, at least in my opinion, to the Orlando game. I actually like Toronto tonight in this game, especially off a of back-to-back for Indiana, where they have so much possessions in that game. I think the only way they might win this game tonight is if they play some sort of defense, and we know Toronto can. They have great wings, great length. Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes. He's having a career-best season, by the way, 20 points, nine rebounds, six assists per game. OG Ananobi, as all Pacers fans and IU fans know all about him and his defense. I I think if we don't see any sort of defense tonight, John, I think they might get run off the court tonight in in this kind of game in this situation. After a big win last night, a lot of emotions on the line in that game. This is – feels to me at least like a prime letdown spot for me for this Pacers team. So I'll probably go with Toronto tonight, but I would not be surprised if they do win this game. It's probably once again on the back of Tyrese Halliburton. Man, that'll bum me out. I want to be bummed. I was really bummed out after that Orlando game, watching the Wagner bros work them over like that and they not be able to stop anybody. I was depressed. I don't want to be depressed tonight. So hopefully it's different than what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, I think this is actually a really good matchup for a player like Miles Turner because they have Jakob Pertl, who's a slower-footed big who they play some minutes with. This could be a really good opportunity for Miles Turner to, to really get back on track tonight, play some pick-and-pop with Tyrese Halliburton and go against a slower-footed big man. I would not be surprised either if we see, let's say the Pacers are keeping this closer if they outright win this game. It might be because Miles Turner had a big, big game as well on top of that. Uh, Evan Sidery, Evan Sidery Substack. You can find his work there. Evan Sidery as well. Uh, you can find him at Forbes. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks as always for talking NBA with us. And uh, we'll do it again very soon. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, John. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, Gold and Black Illustrated, Alan Carpick joins us. I want to make sure before this game tips at five, the Maui Invitational is weird. You know, they do all their championship games and then everybody else is kind of left to play about midnight. So the consolation game is ongoing right now, again, between Tennessee and Kansas. And then you have Marquette and Purdue battling for the title coming up at 5 o'clock today. Uh, Alan, I want to start right here. Um, Boilermakers showing you some things so far that maybe you wondered if they were going to be able to do. And, and again, I, I think it's a sign of an evolving team right now. What do you think? I think so. I mean, last night's game, JMV, was the most ugly basketball game you could ever watch. I mean, it's barely – it got over five minutes ago. I mean, that game went on for almost three hours. And 
just crazy in terms of and Purdue couldn't make a free throw for a period of time, couldn't make a shot for most of the game, but then they ended up still beating one of the best defensive teams I think you're going to find in the country this year in Tennessee in the seventh-ranked Volunteers. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they're, they, they're, you, you have to produce found ways to win differently in each of its last three games. Xavier who's a quality opponent, obviously. They, they won in Mackey and then beaten Gonzaga the way they did by speeding up the tempo and just slogging yesterday uh, just in a complete fist fight for 40 minutes. Uh, it was another way to get it done, and they were able to get it done. All right, you get Marquette later on tonight. Marquette was really impressive against Kansas last night, and I want to start with that. The Shaka Smart team reminds you a great deal of how much of a success level he had at uh, VCU that, that this team a little bit reminds me of of those teams and especially that final four team for VCU these guys get up and down good decision makers good passers they have guys that can score really at all positions and guys coming off the bench that can do the same they have all the parts necessary to be one of the best teams in the nation yeah I mean and it starts with Tyler Cole like they're you know they're their point guard he's going to I think he's going to play a long time in the next level, too. He's just uh, – and, and, you know, it's interesting because last year these two teams played in Mackey Arena as part of a Gavit game. Neither team was ranked, I believe, at the time. Or maybe right. Purdue had just snuck into the rankings. And Marquette had Purdue beat uh, last last year. And had Braden Smith not really come through down the stretch. Uh, I expect an extremely difficult game, and it will be a game that probably will be different. <laughs> Everything's going to be different than the way Tennessee plays, but – they will play uh, a little bit more up-tempo. It'll see now if Purdue and Lance Jones and the, the transfer from Southern Illinois, I think Purdue can speed it up a little bit more, a little better. We'll see how that game goes. But uh, I, I expect a, a game that uh, will go down to the wire uh, starting at 5 o'clock Eastern. Alan Carpet, Golden Black Illustrated Boilermakers in the Maui Invitational Championship against Marquette again today at 5. You mentioned – uh, Tennessee and Purdue last night. It was a rock fight, and I, I think it was a rock fight that Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes really wanted that, and I thought that the officials really helped kind of play into why that game on both ends slogged along, especially in the second half. Well, you know, he gets the technical foul, and it's a common. And I'm not being a, a homer here by any stretch. I'm just saying it's kind of the common refrain by every coach against Zach Eady is, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that, and well, they they. And he, he he blew a gasket, gets the technical foul, and then the game changed. I mean, they they all of a sudden started calling fouls. Zach Eady came the closest he's come, I think, in his career to follow, following out. He was limited, and I'll put that number or name in parentheses, but to 26 minutes last night uh, due to foul trouble. And I thought that was a good sign for Purdue. But it's just a common strategy, and it's a good one, especially when you have the kind of good athletes that, that Barnes has at Tennessee to play Purdue that way, I think you're going to see that was the, how the second half of the last year of the Big Ten season kind of was too, where you're just going to knock the heck out of Edie and see what and see what happens and and force Purdue to make shots. They did not make very many shots last night uh, from the perimeter, as, as uh, Purdue fans know, but they did do enough other good things uh, and got a parade to the line uh, to to be able to get the job done. You know, it's funny, I was talking to Rob Blackman yesterday. I mentioned this, Alan, at the outset of the show. I said, man, you watch Fletcher Lawyer, and sometimes if he's not knocking down his shots, that has an effect on other aspects of his game. 
And early on, you could see him searching for it a little bit, but once he got that thing in gear, it, you, you could tell the entirety of his game, it really did take off. And he was the difference, I thought, in that game, in that semifinal and that win for the Boilers yesterday. Yeah, 27 points after going, what, 0 for 6 the night before. And people uh, in their in their wisdom, and I'm not saying being critical, I'm saying that uh, it, well, there is a serious question of if Tyler or if if uh, Fletcher Warrior's not making shots, uh, what good is he? But he does a lot of other things. And I thought the big thing he did yesterday, too, yes, he had 27 points, huge. But he also made two of the best hustle plays of the season so far, diving on him for a loose yeah. ball at a very critical part of time. And somebody, I think Brian Newbert from our staff, who does such a good job, talked about the fact that one thing about that, that about that lawyer does when he penetrates, even if he misses some of those shots, and I don't we don't have any data to support this, but look at how many times that ball is soft at the rim, and guess who's going to throw it back down? Zach Eady. I think that happened a couple times last night. You know, uh, Lawyer still was only, I think, 7 for 18 from the field last night, but Purdue scored a lot of times. They do it. He's a good basketball player. Yes, he needs to make shots to, to, to really help Purdue, but he does other things. And, uh, and you know, I think Miles Colvin's going to work his way into things. He did not have as good a game last night. Uh, in fact, he had a, did not play well, didn't play long, but he gave up a uh, followed on a three-pointer, missed a couple shots, uh, but you have to like his talent. But I think Fletcher Lawyer is a guy that Matt Painter likes and will continue to like throughout the, the rest of his career at Purdue. Hey, Alan, before I let you go here, you, you, you mentioned just what Marquette brings to the table. Where do the defensive assignments to start this game today at five go in terms of the Boilers? You know, that's going to be interesting to watch because Kolek really brings that uh, – Brings that, and they're long enough at different positions. You know, again, you got the, uh, it's for lack of a better uh, uh, name of the elephant in the room is how, and he actually, he's just the, the big maple. How do you deal with Zach Eady, or what do you do with Zach Eady in a team that is a little bit more athletic and, and can pick and pop on you a little bit? That's what's going to be the storyline. Uh, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I think Purdue, it's going to be at a premium today if Purdue's going to get out there with the, with their third, you know, third ascension to number one in November, uh, it's going to take all they can do to get through Marquette, I think, tonight. All right. So how do you think this thing goes, Alan, in closing here? I, I, think, it's, I think it's a two- or three-point game. I mean, that's what the odds makers have. I like Purdue, but it'll be interesting to see. Purdue had, I mean, Marquette played the late game last night, but they didn't seem to have to extend themselves as much as Purdue did. I got to think Braden Smith's tired. You got to hope that uh, – you got to hope he plays a little bit better offensive game. But if he does, I still think Purdue just might get out of there with the win. Uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch uh, during dinner time here in the East, Eastern time zone. You got it, buddy. I appreciate you jumping on here at a very short notice for a little bit of a preview because I know a lot of people are going to be watching it. And uh, uh, the, the Boilermakers kind of yeah, doing coming out of the gate as they started out of the gate a year ago, right? Winning, winning some games against high-level opponents. Nothing wrong with seeing that. No, it's going to be crazy. I mean, they've got an unbelievable schedule. I mean, they're going to come to come to Indianapolis and play Arizona. Is in the top five right now. The, there's going to be plenty of competition to go. But happy Thanksgiving to you and your audience, and thanks for yes. having me on, my friend. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline, let's go ahead and bring him on here right now. Kev, um, I, I have been burned by social media before, so I check, check, and recheck. 
and it always concerns me. So I want to make sure um, all of these tweets we are getting right now, that is coming directly in a clapback fashion from Jim Irsay, correct? I see the blue check mark. Um, yeah, I've wondered the same thing. I thought to myself, boy, could Pete Ward change the password quick enough? Dude, somebody's got somebody got some. <laughs> listen, I know that it adds a certain level of entertainment, but this is going to end really badly here. It's going to end really badly, Kev. Yeah, and I think that's pretty well said. I mean, for you or I, John, Jim Mercer constantly tweeting is a good thing, uh, yeah. but in no way, shape, or form is this good for the Colts, good for Ursay. Any of it, um, I mean, the comments itself from HBO, and, you know, we had Andrea Kramer on earlier this week, and she made it very clear that, you know, she gave Jim the opportunity to clarify the prejudice white billionaire comments, and she did. For any of those that haven't seen the clip, she, she clearly did that. Um, that was a mistake, and now mistakes are being compounded right now on an event that happened back in 2014. So, um, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, change the password, do something. Um, you don't need this. Nah, it, uh, it's going to end badly. Uh, and, and yesterday, this is what I had talked about all day, was when, when we first, find, first found out, and you were talking to Andrea Kramer about it, that quote, you knew that the whole target and the reason why that segment was being done from Jim's angle of, you know, what he has gone through, through addiction and then sobriety to where he is right now. You know, many of the things that may have been unsaid and, and hidden to the things that he is most proud of. I mean, you knew that that was the reason why they put it together. And then it is all absolutely covered up and lost by that quote. And you can't get it back. Nobody's ever going to look at it. And I'd said, hey, coming up, Tomorrow, which is today, this is going to be the only thing anybody nationally that covers football especially will be talking about, and that's exactly the way this is taking shape. Yeah, and, and, and again, you know, this is something that he had the opportunity, you know, sitting there with Andrew Kramer to, you know, walk it back, take it back, however you want to look at it. And, you know, when he did not do that, you're going to get the Mike Florios of the world and especially the national media and even us here locally, you know, it almost seems like in a way we're just kind of used to it. And I know that might be too harsh to say, uh, because again, I think that that comment itself stands out in the pantheon of Jim Mercer comments, uh, particularly, you know, when it comes to a matter um, that, you know, certainly could have killed somebody. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this is just a, yeah, this is a no, no win situation. There is just a swallow whatever pride that you feel like is on the line here. And, and I mean, frankly, I, I, did he say he's in Spain? Go to bed. I mean, how it's almost midnight over there. <laughs> here, I also think about it this way, too. Um, it, it, I, you can't do anything about it if he wants to. You can certainly tell the difference between somebody else typing up his tweets and the tweets today that he's concocting. Sure. You know what I mean? Yes. yes. Se- several people run the Jim Irsay Twitter account, but it's pretty clear when you know who's pressing send on that Twitter account. And, um, yeah, this is just – and, again, it, it, it 
clearly, I guess, overshadows the Shaq Leonard news. But, I mean, even more than anything, I mean, how about your football team coming back from the bye week and in a position that, you know, really no one thought they would be in. And, uh, you know, he's got a home game on Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. And now here we are talking about the comments from the other night and firing off tweets that make very little sense to me. Yeah, the latest one's not not good at all. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, thought I don't, I, I don't really follow the latest one too. too I don't much. either. Um, I don't either. And yeah, that I'm telling you, man, you, you lose track of of being able to to translate it for everybody here. Everybody's going to take it for what it's worth in their own translation, and all this is not going to go well. Like for example. All right, so you're, you're throwing shots at Stephen A. Smith. That's one thing. But you just know that it's going to escalate and go down a path in which that, that yeah, Jim, those around him, the organization, people around here, nobody wants. And at some point in time here, it, it is. It's time to go to bed. It's time to take the phone away. It's time to do something. Somebody's got to stand up and do something. Because as I mentioned at the outset, Kev, this has got the potential to end very badly. Yeah, and it's just – it is a shame and disappointing that, you know, it, you even have to say that. Um, I, I just – boy, you would like to think that, you know, when that came out, um, you know, Jim could realize the backlash that would come from a comment like that and, you know, whatever, release some sort of statement that um, is apologetic on it and realize that the kicking stigma campaign is the thing that needs to be front and centered and that a comment like that, uh, it, it is very understandably, in my opinion, going to be taken the way that it has been taken. Um, and there was plenty of context around it, and he had an opportunity. There was no misquote. Uh, there was no, ah, yeah, I didn't get a chance to clarify that. No, he, he did. Um, and you would think with the amount of times Jim's been in the public eye and the public spotlight and said some things that have been whatever, maybe misinterpreted in the past, that he would realize that, again, there's an element of just swallowing your pride and moving on and, and to stand by the comment and then now fire off these tweets. Um, it, it is just an absolute no-win, absolute loser situation. And, yeah, whether you delete, you stop, you clarify, you go to bed, just just do it. Frankly, there will be some people in the building of where you're at tonight that probably need to do the same until about 2 a.m. <laughs> yes, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Kevin Bowen, the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy. He's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And I, I knew this was going to happen yesterday, too, and I brought it up at the outset of the show, is with the timing of the, the waving of Shaquille Leonard, I knew that I was going to hear a lot about, hey, they're doing this because they know what's coming on Real Sports on HBO at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. Now, it's tough to put it together to believe that 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 was what they were trying to do. But it's not out of the realm. Given what we've covered over the years, you know, something like that's not out of the realm in terms of we've seen stuff like this happen before. Maybe not so much around here as much, but certainly, you know, around the NFL to try to cover up something you knew was coming. You know, these... 5 o'clock on a Friday, news dumps, things like that. So that got me thinking yesterday about that. Did that occur to you at all? <laughs> uh, I guess I'll – and trust me, I had numerous people reach out to me with a similar sentiment. Yeah. I will start here. Um, I, I think you're giving Jim Mercer way too much credit. 
if you are thinking that was possibly at hand. But the well, no, that wasn't. That no, can, that's not Jim. That's those around him, Kev. Those around him that knew what was coming didn't want him to do it in the first place. Oh boy. Yeah, I just I and, and thought, it. all right. <laughs> I mean, if you're going if you're going to do something, this would be this is as good as any time. All right. Again, nothing concrete. Just wondering aloud. Yeah, I mean, is it bad enough you're cutting the dude three hours before his turkey giveaway? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of the calendar evidence adds I'd up ag- to. I'd agree. You know, I agree. Why the timing was that it was. Um, you know, I think you and I even had this debate after the New England game, and um, you know, I, I wanted to play back the Shane Steichen response about how Shaq looked against the Patriots. Uh, because to me, it screamed, there's a possibility he's going to be benched. Now, again, an outright cut, you know, I, I did not think that. Um, and, and clearly, you know, the Colts slept on it Monday night after they told him he'd be inactive and woke up on Tuesday and had a change of heart. So I, I get the conspiracy theory thought. Certainly Friday news dumps are a thing. And, you know, there are public relation cover-ups abound. But, boy, to do that to Shaquille Leonard – uh, I, I'd like to think the Colts are better than that. Yeah, yeah. I I knew it was coming yesterday, and man, everybody said, "Hey, you know why this happened right now?" Because I mean, people look at it and you think, "All right." I mean, really, you're not gaining anything other than the fact that a day prior he was told he was going to be inactive for the rest of the season, and at that point, why would you want him around, right? I mean, overall, once you once you declare that to the player itself. It's over, and what the hell, you might as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not like Shaq Leonard is going to play special teams for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not like he's just going to sit quietly there on the bench and not, you know, it, it, whether he is inviting it or not, there's an element of distraction that just naturally comes with that because, you know, I, we were talking today in the media room, and you don't see teams bench non-quarterbacks like that very often, just like outright benching, and then they're just inactive. Um, I mean, hell, even Andrew Luck, I know he's injury-related, he, he, he goes away, you know, for, for a couple of months. It's like, you know, that's, that's just a hanging cloud that would have brought on even more and more attention to it all. So um, I, I understand. I think maybe the Colt hindsight, you know, maybe they'd do it all over again. They just would have done it on Monday and realized, all right, even though inactive isn't really going to solve, solve it. Um, you know, maybe just go ahead and get rid of them like they did and should have probably done on Monday. And I don't know, maybe that would have been a little bit of a paint, a little bit of a better picture than, you know, cutting him on his off day and cutting him, you know, what, just a couple hours before his, you know, turkey giveaway. So Kevin Bowen in the morning show, he is with us. Um, all right. Moving forward from that, moving forward from the Colts. What do you think about the Pacers last night? You ever seen a team score 152 points and lose by five in your lifetime? (laughs) (laughs) I have not. I I mean, I had the feeling, John, of like, I feel like I was watching like an old school Big 12 game and like who's going to get the ball last. You know, know, like neither team can stop each other. And uh, I mean, you know, how when they gave up 40 in the first and whatever it was at halftime, 85, 86, something like that. And then. Halliburton does what he does in the third. And, and I felt like once he did that, then all of a sudden, like, everyone fed off it. You know, Matherin fed off it. You know, I think Buddy, you know, certainly hit some huge, huge shots late when they were starting to double Halliburton as well. But it, I, I don't know if 13 games is too small of a sample size. And maybe Rick Carlisle will say to us on Tuesday, 
no, you know, we knew a long process in implementing a totally new defense and this and that, and it's going to be a work in progress. But after 13 games, I'm almost ready to say this is just going to have to be a we are trying to outscore you every single night. Like, like we we are not in this to guard you. <laughs> we, 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 are, we are not going to try and kind of sit in a stance and, and grind it out. We will happily take games in the 130s, and we're just going to try and run and gun and outscore you. Um, it, that's almost what the feel of it is like. Because I just don't I – mean, it's not like you made the move to insert Buddy Heald in the starting lineup for defense. You know, you obviously did that for shooting and for offense. Um, so it, it, it has that feel already of like, oh, boy, um, whatever. To survive, to get wherever you want this season, it's going to have to be just an offensive explosion night in and night out for the Pacers. Um, and while it was very fun to watch, very enjoyable, and I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, I, I just want to see them them win and play up to the expectations. Kev, at some point, you got to mix in at least a semblance of a defensive threat. You know what I mean? It looked like in that fourth quarter, I think both teams in the fourth last night scored 38. It looked like like Loyola Marymount against Long Beach State, you know, back in the or, – LMU versus UNLV back in those old Big West days because there was zero interest in that fourth quarter, maybe on a couple of occasions, zero interest on either side to play defense. It was just run down there, take that first available with little to no resistance, and that was how it went back and forth in the fourth, and that's very entertaining, but at some point, you're not going to play Atlanta every night who's going to allow that much like you allow that. And at some point, and maybe that's tonight, at some point that's really going to bite you. And it has and I think, with Orlando, yeah. Sure, and I think we've seen this, you know, in the past couple of seasons where we have seen the numbers just rise offensively for teams around the NBA. Scoring obviously is up. But when the playoffs come around, whether it's the intensity of those games, whether it's, you know, more time commitment to scouting and, you know, you're paying more attention to a defensive scouting report and how you want to take away the other team's, you know, whatever top couple of guys, your scoring is down when you get into the playoffs. It's not like teams, you know, first one to 130 wins in the playoffs on a routine basis. So, uh, and I don't, maybe the Pacers, if and when they get there, they would fall into that and say, oh, yeah, you know, scouting ramps up for them. And, you know, we were going to throw this at Trey Young and this at DeJounte Murray, et cetera, et cetera. But, man, I, I just, so much of it is rooted in personnel. And just the lack thereof, you know, and, and, you know, you and I have talked about this endlessly, the wing defense and, you know, just leaving miles on an island at the rim and the sacrifices that you make. Um, they are so gifted offensively. And it's just if they could just get to be bad on defense. I mean, they are horrific on defense. If they could just become bad, you know, whatever, take five points off the total um, and rise from 30th in the rankings to 24th, uh, that would do wonders for you in, you know, being a, a you know, and I think a definitely top, you know, five or six Eastern Conference team without question. I said before the start of the season, I thought that they were capable of doing defensively what you just described, you know, and, and not, you know, being a defensive demon by any stretch, but just a little bit, a little, the tiniest bit of improvement. And this season so far, I kind of wonder if, they have anybody personnel-wise that's able to lift them in that capacity, Bruce Brown included. I just don't think they have that quality right now. Right. Well, it seemed like they were putting all the eggs personnel-wise into two baskets, and that was the Bruce Brown um, 
free agent addition and obviously Jarris Walker. And, you know, certainly Walker isn't seeing the floor. And, and I guess, you know, how much can Bruce Brown do? Um, because, again, starting lineup-wise, whether it was Matherin or Buddy Heald, neither of them are known for their defense at all, even Obi Toppin is not known for that. I guess Aaron Neesmith in the starting lineup, you would think helps you out a little bit more there. So, you know, uber benefit of the doubt to Rick Carlisle and the Pacers right now would be this is a longish process to get the new defense implemented from, you know, the departure of Ronald Norad. I think it's Jim Boylan. I think he was now running the defensive show uh, for you from an assistant coach standpoint. But again, that to me would be big time benefit of the doubt. So, Two things. Can you just get to be a little, uh, not as sucky as you are, and just a little bit, you know, again, bad, not horrific. And then two, if not, are you just embracing the full-on, we want the ball and we're going to score and we're going to go for two and we're going to fake punts and and we're going to go for it every fourth down to steal all the football analogies and we're going to go, go, go because that's the only way that we're going to, you know, be able to win games. You can't win them grinding them out. In the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy as Kevin Bowen joining us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Back to the Colts and away from Jim Irsay for a moment, too. They get the Buccaneers coming up. Five and five for the Colts as they restart things after the bye week against Tampa Bay. I was talking to Derek Brooks. You know, Tampa Bay comes in especially defensively injured, four and five. And this is the start of a really a list down the, the stretch of the season that are very winnable. I'm curious, what's your expectation for this group going from here on out, given the fact that that schedule that they play certainly has softened up even more with Joe Burrow gone for the season in Cincinnati. Are all these games in your, in your thought winnable for this team? I, it's hard to say on paper why they wouldn't be. I mean, I mean hell, you can make the argument Gardner Minshew is the better quarterback in several of these matchups and, and you know, the one that you look to on Sunday and you'd probably say Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than, than Minshew. Okay, fine. Well, right now Tampa's got three very key guys that did not practice today all on their defense. They just played a physical long road trip in San Francisco. So they don't benefit from the bye week like the Colts do. And then they are the worst rushing attack in the NFL. And without Grover Stewart for two more games, that remains a question mark. And obviously we saw what happened in Germany when New England he kind of ran right at Indy on several of those drives. So, you know, when you add up all that, you think even this one with, again, a more competent quarterback that you have some reasons to be optimistic and to feel like the Colts can win this game. I think they're very deserving of being a favorite. I am curious this. The last two games, you've won each of them. You've played two teams that has not had a pulse offensively, and in particular, they haven't had a passing offense pulse. New England, Carolina, they couldn't throw it from, you know, you to Cam, whoever's your on-site engineer right now. Like, I mean, they they couldn't do anything. And now you're getting back into a little bit of kind of saints from last month where, yes, they weren't putting up a whole lot of points, but Derek Carr, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, uh, they had a history. And Baker Mayfield and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Trey Palmer coming on, you know, again, they, they at least have done some things. Um, so I do think with Juju Brent Smith in another practice today, that is – something of concern and I would say the other angle to this John that I think it's hard to kind of grasp a little bit is the Colts have been really poor at home and that states back to you know late last season but they're one and four at home this season and I felt like when we or when you know even internally but I'd say more just kind of externally media wise 
when people have pat them on the back this season, and I point right to that, you know, back-to-back win in Houston, go to Baltimore, win then, when they have had the everyone pat you on the back, multiple wins in a row, um, here's some praise, they haven't reacted well to it. Now, again, they've just won two in a row, but they haven't played well. Um, a lot has happened organizationally since their last win. The bye week naturally, I think, kind of breaks up any sort of momentum and, and, and heaping out of praise that would be there. So maybe they aren't in the same um, – a little bit more of a bullseye on our back mode just based off how they played, the opponents they've played, and, again, the fact that you have the Shaq Leonard news, you have the bye week. So do they have a little bit more of a hunger than maybe they did? And I guess I'm going back to that Rams game. Uh, where they got off to such a poor start against a Rams team that had a lot going against them from a short week and a long road trip the week prior. So Kevin Bowen, the morning show, that's uh, the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy. So Kevin Bowen on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So you, you, Shaquille Leonard gets waived. Is this a, a new era of accountability from Shane Steichen? And is Chris Ballard incredibly lucky that he was that, that didn't take effect a year ago? Uh, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Um, I do think it is. Whether you are trying to send the massive message or not, it is a message of accountability, and it's different than Deion Jackson. It's different than Daryl Baker Jr. I don't think there's any question about that. And Shane Steichen strikes me as that guy. I mean, he he strikes me as a bit of a cutthroat dude that realizes the bottom line nature to this business. And, you know, if you're going to preach it in a March press conference, your locker room is going to hear that message a lot louder and a lot clearer if you also act upon it come September, October, and November. And that's what this you know, move to me sends, a, a message. And I, I think deep down, if you gave true serum to a lot of guys in that locker room, they would understand and you know, get the reason of why you know, Shaq Leonard is being cut and, and how poor he has played this season and certainly has not lived up to the contract. And I did find it interesting today – John and I asked Shane, you know, did any of the public comments have anything to do with it? Was there, was it strictly football or was there a little bit more to that? And, and he definitely did not slam the door shut on either of those things uh, being ruled out as, you know, whatever reasons why this move was made. Um, you know, he was generally vague as he can be, but still, you know, he had the opportunity there to kind of slam it shut. And he has slammed some things shut before, whether Jonathan Taylor related, um, that, that, that I'm thinking back on. So, um, yes, I, I do think this is a sign of accountability. And what I go back to, John, is 2019 with Adam Benatari. When, you know, Frank Wright and Chris Ballard continued to run him out there, he was clearly getting old. He clearly was hurt. And yet Reich and Ballard both continued to go with the message of he's one of the greatest kickers in NFL history. But what you have to live in is in reality. And what Adam Benatari did to win, you know, Super Bowls in 01 and 03 and 04, whenever those Super Bowls were, uh, that doesn't matter as much in 2019 when he's 40-something years old and clearly he's going through a knee injury and he's missing kicks badly. And so now, a couple years later, you have an injured player that has a hell of a resume and means a whole lot to your organization. So – are you going to make the same mistake? And maybe it took Shane's presence to react differently. Um, but to me, indirectly or directly, it, it was a major accountability message sent. 
Yeah, and then yeah, and then you get that quote from Ursa, and it's like a complete lack of accountability for something <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> I think we got some mixed messaging going on here, Kev. Is what we got. <laughs> it, it is so so true. Yeah, I, I mean it's so true, and, and it's why that any defense of Ursa, John, always comes with skepticism from a group of people, um, but and, and understandably. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I totally get that for how you know philanthropic he has been to our community, and you know how many great things he's done for that organization, and you know building a football team here for you know whatever since he became owner '97, et cetera, et cetera. All of it is there, but there's this massive butt that comes with it. And the last 24 hours, 48 hours, we've seen exactly why. And so is, frankly, the rest of the United States. Kev, man, I I don't think I'm overblowing this either. I just I unless somebody is able to get a hold of him here, I think this is going to end really badly. It's going to make what this situation was Tuesday. And see, you also, I mean, you're going into the Thanksgiving holiday, and this thing would would end up fading away. And what you're doing is just you're stoking the flames of something that likely because of Thanksgiving was going to go away anyway. So it just a lot of nonsense, and you wish somebody would just get a hold of him or the phone, can talk to him and take that thing away, because I just got the feeling this is going to end badly here. Boy, if Pete Ward walked into Brothers and Broderpool right now, he would need about every bottle behind that, uh, behind that bar right now. <laughs> oh, man, they're trying to think of you. What can we do coming up here before Sunday? <laughs> a little, little smoke screen or yeah, something going on yeah. here. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe man. Have a, Maybe have a caramel cop bang the anvil. I don't know if that'd be a good thing or not, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. The, that would be a good idea right there because they're not happy about that either. God, just 14 years ago stuff, man. It was just so unnecessary. Why? Don't you just like, why did that happen? Yeah. So I like him a great deal, Kev. I, like, I know you like him too. I like him a great deal. I do. I just I hate to see this go down, man. It's yeah. too bad. It's a shame because because again it, it covers up and it mars so much great and, and and good that he he does behind the scenes out front. I mean, kicking cigarettes. I mean, my my, my wife went to a, a, an event with Kaylin Ursay earlier yep. this week. She spoke. I mean, she was blown yep. away. Um, oh, Kaylin's yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's terrific. But, uh, all right. Well, hey, get some rest. I'm sure you and your, how many family members you got eating tomorrow? About 70? Yeah, we got a big crew. Big crew, morning and, uh, and afternoon. I must say, I think I say, to, say this to you every Wednesday of Thanksgiving Eve and when you're at Brothers and Broderick, well, boy, if those walls could talk. I, I, I certainly had some long Thanksgiving Eve nights in there. Yeah. So, God well, tell me to everyone. Tell me a little something about this. Did we uh, – I know Maddie's not listening. Maddie doesn't like listening to this show anyway when you're on it or any other time for that matter. We, uh, we walk out of here with anything spectacular back in the day, Kev? Prior to becoming a, a father and a husband? Yeah. Devoted? I, I, I can say that whoever was potentially walking out would not have called it spectacular on their end. Oh. So, um, yeah, if we're, if we're going to live in reality here for, for at, a moment, but look at Kev there, was some, uh, there was some dragging Thanksgiving to say the least. Thanks to brothers and broad ripple. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if you're a part of it, did Swebo ever walk out of a Louisville bar with anything? <laughs> 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 yeah. but, but paying for, paying for somebody, paying, 
paying for somebody else's drinks. That's about it. <laughs> I love Sweet Bo. I hope he doesn't take that literally. So I do. So. All, right. All right, brother. Have a great Thanksgiving with the family, man. John, have a great Thanksgiving as well. Thank you.